Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to some of our listeners who have been so kind to leave us reviews. This one comes from Katie Titi. Love the name. Helpful and comforting. I lost a dear friend of mine last year. She had a long battle with cancer. It was challenging to witness as her friend and not be able to do much to help her. Listening to your show has been very comforting. I also learned some things that link back to her experience from listening to your guest that I would not have known about otherwise. Very helpful and appreciated. Thank you. Katie, we are so sorry for your loss. And thank you so much for your incredible five-star review. Born in the 1960s, Steve Patterson is a father of four, a former soldier, a counselor, and a business owner. He is currently working with individuals facing significant life challenges while traveling Latin America to rebuild his life. His new book titled, This Is How It Feels to Heal, A Shamanic Journey Through Cancer, Life Challenges, and Recovery is available now. Steve, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to it. And always like to spread the word that we can of awareness of these kinds of things. And uh, what you're doing is a wonderful thing. So thanks for inviting me. Oh, well, thank you. It's very rare that I get to speak to anyone who has survived liver cancer. So would you please take us back to the beginning when you first started having symptoms? Um, I really never had outright symptoms of things that I knew because uh, going back to around 2011, um, I had been working in the sports world for a long time, and uh, I was, I had a radio show. I was, you know, not famous, but I was invited to speak at a lot of things. And so everywhere I went, it was the, the, the football lifestyle of college football, of wings and beer, things like that. And everybody <laughs> always wants to buy me a beer. So I was probably drinking too much, you know, uh, just because I did that constantly my whole life for, I've been doing it since 98. Um and so uh, what happened was in 2011, I had an accident where I fell down. And when I woke up in the hospital, um, they told me that, uh, that I had stage four liver failure. Now, the reason I had fallen down is because I suddenly went into some delusional state and fell down a flight of steps. And when I, when I landed at the bottom, I was just speaking to this guy, like, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine and there wasn't anybody there. So they took me to the hospital. Um, and so that's when they told me that. And they said I had six months to live. And I replied to that. Uh, I don't buy your myth of death, which is a chapter in my book about this. And I left uh, as soon as they let me out. And I didn't really have much involvement with the medical industry. Um, I very quickly sunk into uh, what's called stage four, also of hepatic encephalopathy. That's where you're hallucinating a lot. Uh, you slur when you speak, you very weak, you're always tired. Um, it's like you're... Think of the toilet flushing, and that's like how your life feels going out your body into the earth. Right. It's just so draining. It's I can't. When I think back, I'm like, golly, I, I, for people out there who still have man, I hope you get. It's tough, and there's nothing you can really do about it. But anyway, I had a hepatitis encephalopathy, 
And I started looking into alternative healing methods. And that led me into shamanism, ultimately, where since there was nothing the medical community could do for me, I figured, well, I'll see what goes on with that and changed my mindset in a, in a, in a big way. Um, I'd gotten rid of all my previous uh, life. I'd gone vegan. Um, I, I mean, I changed everything in my life and became highly into the shamanic thing and worked with people around the world. And then by 2014 or so, I was starting to speak in groups of people about this stuff. But also in 2015, what happened is they came out with a drug called Zyfaxin. And I had a, a gastrointestinal doctor that I went to see about once every six months just to make sure nothing further was happening. It was always exactly the same. You look good. You liver stage four failure. Um, six months to live. And they said that throughout the entire 11 years of this. In 2015, they came out with a drug that cleared up HE, hepatic encephalopathy, quite a bit. Um, and it was called Zyfaxin. And I, they asked if I wanted to test, test, be on the testing for it. So I said, yes. And so I took that and it brought me back to about 90% cognitive level. Then a month or so after that, I was invited to speak at a recovery group for people, alcoholics and all this, about the fact that I had this condition and I was still alive, that I'd given up drinking and just to talk about my life. And um, so I did that and they, the people liked it and they invited me back. And so within a few months, I had on the side gone out and got a little temporary coaching uh, or it was called uh, Recovery to Practice. It was the first thing that NADAC, the National Association of Addiction Professionals, offered for the recovery type thing, official. So I got that. And so they made me the facilitator of uh, Smart Recovery Group and um, or Prime Solutions also at that time. And so I started on this path of being a recovery coach where I ultimately did. I ultimately became certified, licensed in the state of Georgia as a drug and alcohol counselor by the time this all ends. So I was doing that on one side. And on the other side, I was working with people in shamanism and really getting into that. So I was still sick, nothing going on until 2017, a friend of mine, a Vietnam veteran, said, why don't I go to the VA? You know, I had never thought of that. The VA. Wait, wait. <laughs> so, okay. You had never thought to go to the VA given that you served? It had been 25 years since I was in the Army. Wow. And I never thought of the VA. And I never thought they were going to do anything for me. You know, all I ever heard on the news was anything bad about the VA. That's <laughs> true. That's okay, the fair point. Everything. That's the case. The only reason it's on the news is they can say something bad. But um, so I went there and uh, they started testing me and everything. And so in September of 2017, they told me that I had hepatitis C. So we finally know I have hepatitis C. All of those, the doctors in 2011, my gastro that I went to every six months, nowhere along the line did anybody ever no one tested to you. test me for hepatitis and, and C. We should tell people this is a simple test. This is not a difficult test. It's a blood right. test. It's yeah, not this, hard. This to is do. a matter of blood test. This is like any, yeah, it's, it's not some, it's not like cancer. You don't have to get screened, some lights and all this, but, um, or whatever they do. I have experienced some of that too. So anyway, September and then October, they told me that they had found two tumors about this big in my liver. And then in November, they told me that they were cancerous. Yeah. So at that point, I moved from being uh, just, liver failure due to what they thought at first was alcohol cirrhosis. They then changed it to hepatic cirrhosis. That the, that the, the cirrhosis was majorly influenced by the hep C. Absolutely. Yes, oh, I yeah. had a, yes, I had a bad, you know, drinking and eating the way that I did, but nothing over the top top. And I was young, relatively speaking, I was 45. So to be a stage four liver failure, they were, they were like, how'd this happen? Again, why are they never testing me for AT or for hepatitis? I don't know. I don't the, understand the, that moment you got that first urine liver failure. 
why they didn't test you for hepatitis C, hepatitis B. I mean, that's sort oh, of- Yeah, crazy. that's just 2011. What I about know. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16? Wow, you know? that's nuts. Yeah. So anyway, um, so once that happened, then it everything changed in my life because then the VA that I was going to in Augusta, Georgia, which I lived in Athens, Georgia, they had me pick from five different VAs. It was interesting because they said, well, this one here's uh, really, really nice. That is Madison. These people are really, really nice. That's, everybody talks good about the one in Nashville. There was one, I think, in Phoenix and maybe Oregon or something like that. And they said, then there's this one in Pittsburgh where they're like the best, but they're very, they, everybody says that the surgeon is a jerk, that you're not going to like him, that he's really rude and mean. And I said, I want that. I want to go there. I'm not looking for a friend. I'm looking for the best. That's <laughs> you know? right. Absolutely. And so, so in January of 2018, I flew to Pittsburgh to meet Dr. Cacciarelli, who was my liver sur my surgeon that did my transplant. Great guy. We Im immediately hit it off. And um, we remained not friends, but on a friendly basis throughout the whole time. I mean, he does not screw around. I mean, he's very serious. I mean, if they detect even cigarette smoke in your blood test, you're hot, you won't be on a list. So they're trying to get me on the list. And so they say, all right, you're, you're in a pretty tough spot here. <laughs> now you've got six months to live still and you've got hepatic uh, cancer. Um, and so they said, we got some, we have a new procedure we'd like to try. It's been tried, we want to try it again. It's called TACE. And I forget exactly what that acronym stands for, T-A-C-E. I am. Uh, it is Transarterial Chemoembolization. That's what TACE There you is. go. It's in my book in parentheses. That's probably the only time I ever saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I, love it. I mean, everyone like, just like calls it I, I always talk about AT. Yeah. I realize people don't know I'm talking about hepatic encephalopathy. So their goal so, was to keep you alive long enough to get that transplant. Well, here's what they here's what they offered. They said, we're going to try this procedure. And if you make it through six months without any more tumors or these tumors growing, then we're going to up your MELD score. Now, your MELD score is a score that you have from one to, I think, 30. Um, on the, basically it's on your health of your liver, anything yeah. above like a 13 or 14, you get dangerous, maybe a little lower. I had, I'd been hovering around 17. You know, I was, in, I didn't develop all the other things that a lot of liver people would get. I didn't get bloated. I didn't get a settings. I didn't have to get drained fluids, things like that. I didn't turn yellow with jaundice, but I had, my bonus was that all those little parts were put into more HE. I had like, really, I mean, I was in constant state of HE for most of it. Really? And I mean, we wouldn't have had this conversation then. So who was driving you to appointments, for example? Because me. Wait, me. were you supposed to be driving with? No, <laughs> but I also, by 2017, I, I was living by myself. So, I mean, it was just me. All through the, where I now is that they're going to do the taste thing. And what they wanted to do is to go in through a big artery in my leg, yep. go up into the liver, and then stick the chemo in the liver, squirt it in, and squirt it in the other one, then come back in immediately after that and cauterize like a little cocoon around mm -hmm. each one. And if I made it six months without those other things happening, another, another tumor or them growing, that they would boost my score up 15 points. And that would put me in prime, and I would be able to get on the transplant list. Right. So I said, let's do it. So we did that. And then uh, they said, well, hey, you know, because around August, around three, three or so of these months, I had to get, I had to get checked every month at the local VA. They get blood tests or they scanned or whatever they did to make sure it was there. I mean, I was going to the VA at this point every Tuesday getting, I was like 20 vials of blood every week. I mean, it was just crazy. I had so many spots on my arms where they, they had to move because they just couldn't get blood.
blood out of it anymore. Right. And so, um, yeah, I got to the point where it's just, I just put my arms out and it just blood, blood, blood. <laughs> Sorry to sound so graphic wow. about it. But it's, oh, no, that's, it's just, that's just part of it. And so, um, so I made in like August, they said, we have another deal for you. If you take a liver that has hepatitis C, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll move up pretty faster. If a, you know, if a healthy person dies in some accident or whatever, um, and doesn't have any damage to their liver, but they had hepatitis C, will you take that? I said, sure, why not? And so that really helped. So then we get to October 1st. Are we in 2017 or 2018 at this point? We're in 2018 now. Okay. So on October 21st, it was six months since I'd had that taste done and I did my final test and nothing had changed. So overnight I went to a 32 on my MELD score and now I was not only high, that's anybody with 32 is really high on the list um, as far as availability. The next thing is, um, well, now I'm able to take a hepatic, a hepatitis liver. So there's not a whole lot of those. So when they do come up, I'll probably get it. And so about a month later, beginning in January, beginning of November, I got a call from Pittsburgh and they did the whole thing. I got on the jet and they flew me up there. <laughs> there's a private jet. They flew me up there from Athens, Georgia to Pittsburgh. And Dr. Cacciarelli came in about 10 hours after I was there waiting in the, in the room. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. He said, I want you to, to turn down this liver. And I said, why? He said, because it's not good enough for you. And you've gotten so healthy over the last few years. So I want you to die of old age and not another bad liver. Right. And okay. so I was, I was crushed. I was like, oh, my God. So I went home and I really prepared. I had always believed I was going to live. I've never gave up the idea that I was going to live. Um, and that's why the book is, I mean, there's like the phrase, this is how it feels to heal, came out of getting giving blood one day. Um, you know, I was looking at the doctor. I, was, I hated those things, those needles. And then I said to myself that, you know, I was thinking, you know, these guys aren't trying to hurt me. This needle is not against me. None of this is trying to, in fact, it's trying to help me. Right. And that's when I said to myself, this is how it feels to heal. Mm -hmm. And literally after that moment, uh, the needles didn't hurt anymore. Mm. So, so anyway, got to November, to November then they, they sent me home from that. And then uh, that Christmas, I was in Chicago at my parents' house, and I was nobody knew it but me. I was, you know, saying goodbye to everybody like the last time I was him. And then uh, next thing you know, it gets to be. Uh, I get back to Georgia, and I'm sitting there and on January second. I get a phone call from Pittsburgh, and they said, "Are you still willing to take a liver with hepatitis?" And I said, "Of course." And they said, "Okay, we got you one." And then it happened. They flew me up wow. to Pittsburgh, and. Uh, I went to the operating room on the morning of January, on January 3rd. It was a 6 p.m. on the 3rd, and I woke up the following morning uh, with a new liver. And I could see my ankles for the first time and uh, the bones for the first time in like 10 years. Wow. Wow. So that was over. And I, I want to <clears throat> add so that people know. And, and when I woke up, it was the first time the world was clear. There was no HE at all. Really? Wow. Yeah. You said you had just spent Christmas at your parents and you were saying goodbye to people. Did they under understand how serious it was? I don't know. You know, I don't know how much people thought I might be hamming it up, faking it. You know, because you can't really explain. Nobody knows what HE is. You know, and you can't. When you act like that for 10 years, you know, and you're dying, 
I don't know what they thought. I know that they all thought I was going to die. They did. Yeah. What about your children? Because you mentioned you're a father of four. What did they think? Oh, God. Um, that, that's a whole other conversation. Um, they, uh, they took it well. They were, you know, very supportive. I, my older children, uh, I don't see them much, so I didn't really have much interaction with them during the whole time. But my younger children in Athens, I did. I saw them like every week or all the time. And, um, you know, when, uh, they never knew their dad when he wasn't dying, really, because they're young. Right. Oh, how. And so anyway, um, they were very happy to see me, obviously. When I got back. I'm sure. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't live in the house. And I'd been saying the whole time I was sick, you know, not only am I going to live through this, but as soon as I did, I'm going to travel. I'm just going to go. I, you know, I had nothing. I had no job. I had no anything anymore. And so, um, and so that's what happened. Uh, you know, a year after that, uh, January of 2020, I launched my online business again, and uh, I was ready to do that. And literally, the launch day of the actual website was the day we went into lockdowns. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh man! All my advertising and everything—nobody's going to see it. Nobody cares about that right now. And so I, you know, I sat during a lockdown and looked around. I was like, this is ridiculous. I can't stand this anymore. And all I'm doing, I've been working online since 1996. I don't, I don't have any experience going to the office or having a boss. I've always worked for myself. And um, so I said, screw this, basically. And the first country that opened up, I flew there. And that was Colombia on um, October 1st, 2020. And I've been in Latin America since. Wow. And you just went to Colombia because they were the first country. That said, you can. Well, go. I had planned originally. I had a YouTube video that came out on August first because I just got back from the past. I had one little episode after the uh, transplant that was uh, in my since my bile, my, my um, gallbladder was mm -hmm. removed. Right, the bile made by my liver can't be stored there, so it all has to stay in the liver. Yeah, um, and so what happens is it can solidify and make stones, and it's similar to kidney stones. And so I had sort of that, and that was freaking. And uh, so they flew me back to Pittsburgh and did this operation. And when they did it, it removed all semblance of pain. So there's actually a video of me, somebody that I shot of me like dancing. It's like first time I haven't felt pain since 2011. And so, um, so I went back to Athens, got in front of my, uh, I had online presence, you know, business. And I posted on my YouTube thing, hey, everybody, I'm leaving. I'm going to Denmark. Because I've been <laughs> saying I want to go to Scandinavia forever. As soon as the stupid video got over, I realized Denmark was closed. <laughs> <laughs> I should have thought a little bit about this. So then I started looking around, and I discovered the whole digital nomad thing. You yeah. know, I've been working remotely. I'm, I'm in my 25th year not working remotely. But I only traveled around the United States. And I was getting ready to leave. So I, would, so I looked at what are the popular countries. And so Bali was popular and it yeah. was open so i was planning on in august of 2020 going there and a friend of mine in colombia she and i've been talking for a long time uh she would maybe plan on going there too and we'd just fly and meet in bali and uh september 1st what bali do they closed down and then like uh on september 5th or so colombia announced they were going to open up on the first of october and i booked my plane i sold all of my possessions, everything that I have in this world, except for a jacket at my mother's house and a guitar that my daughter has is literally with me. And so, uh, 
I hopped on an airplane with everything I had and went to Medellin, Colombia. And uh, we stayed there for a while. We've, we've moved 12 times since we've been all over. Ah, oh, my goodness. And so, wow. right, I don't know if I said at the beginning, now I'm, we're currently in Cozumel, Mexico, off the coast of the Yucatan Peninsula. And where are you going next? I don't think I'm going anywhere. I love really? it here. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I just signed a six-month contract at a place I'm at. So I don't okay. I don't see why I would go anywhere else. I mean, you can live here for a quarter of the price in the United States. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. And since it, since the whole town's so condensed, I don't have to have a car. So I don't have a car uh, payment. All right. Let me you ask know. you this. Um, I, I want to circle back because... When you, the first liver you were offered had hepatitis and your surgeon said, don't do it, even though you had already flown up there. Right. And, Mm. um, but the second one had it, had it barely, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. Had it, but it was just barely affecting the liver. Okay. The little part of it, there's, so my new liver did have a little bit of dead tissue probably cirrhosis-esque type thing but not enough to where if you know if i didn't go back to bad behavior or anything like that or you know it wasn't going to go anywhere because so hepatitis you, c was, so oh we didn't talk about the hepatitis c so, so you did, that's what i was going to ask so you um yeah. just because i'm thinking of some someone else and you know he he took a diseased liver and he had had hepatitis c very similar in some ways and um and so and it, and it did become a problem. And so what did they do about that? Well, here, okay. I don't, I don't know why I skipped over this part. So in uh, May, uh, February, I think it was, of 2020, they flew me back up again to Pittsburgh to do checks. You know, it was like two-month right. check or whatever. Sure. And then while I was there, they loaded me up with three months worth of a drug called Maverick. And it's, you have to take it every single day. If you miss a single day, you got to start over. <laughs> and so... But for three months, and it would get rid of the hepatitis C. So I did that, and then three months after that, I flew back to Pittsburgh for my second round of tests, and they tested me for the H, the hepatitis C, and it was gone. Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing. So, Th- those curative so I started, drugs. I started. I started the year with three terminal diseases, <laughs> and had them all done. Wow! I mean, just so people know, those curative drugs for hepatitis C, they really only started coming to the market seven years ago yeah it was during the time i was sick that that because before that they only had where you could make it dormant exactly uh, and and, right and it was now, brutal now right. it was yeah. a brutal drug called interferon horrible horrible drug yeah um that see, had, that's what but see had i had i been tested in 2011 i might have experienced that stuff you probably would have yeah Maybe. and the reason that they decided to, instead of getting rid of it at first with the uh you know because it's 2000 17 when I was diagnosed with cancer. I had plenty of time to get rid of it during the time I was seeing the VA. I think with HE, um, it has some amount of linger oh, to sure. it. Oh, I'm sure. Because there's sometimes that I'll just, you know, we will go to dinner and next day I'll have really no memory of dinner until I'm reminded. Then I got to describe it and then it all comes back. Wow. You know, and I don't know what that's about, uh, but um you know, I'm in I'm in a very large Facebook group that's uh, hepatic encephalopathy, and it's and just for people that have it and, and people that don't or have had it, and right. some of their family members, and a lot of this for people that, that used to have it, and there's all and, and so, um, 
you know, they talk about lingering problems afterwards too. Like I have, I have one thing I left it with, which is a miserable experience still is uh, neuropathy. Mm-hmm. I woke up at about three o'clock in the morning last night with one of the worst leg cramps I could ever have. It's this big one right here. And then of course my toes like to buckle up and do like this. They, uh, then, so I got up around three and took my magnesium and tried to drink water. I was up for about probably an hour. I mean, talk about pain. It hurts. And I'm not, not a pansy. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I mean, when you get your full thigh locks up at once and and then you try to stretch it. And then the you know whichever way you go, the other side cramps. So yeah, that's that's a, that's a uh, that was caused by the hepatitis C. They said yeah. that after 25 years of having hepatitis C or whatever it was, it did significant nerve damage. Yeah, and that's what that's what gave me the uh, neuropathy. And it comes and goes in severity. Right now, it's at the more severe kind because it usually is only only my feet. Last week, it started cramping in my thighs or my calves and knees. I've never had the knees stop lock up before. Wow. And now it's in my thighs. I've not had it much go into the abdomen area uh, in a while since post, but there have been times when I absolutely, I remember when I, uh, when I was working at, uh, in a, as a counselor, I was the last person in the, in the building one night and I had the cramps in the, and I couldn't get out of that building because I couldn't grab the key to put it in the oh, keyhole. Oh my so I, goodness. I had to sit there and wait for a while and the pain, I mean, my fingers were just, I couldn't do either side. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, there's lots of little moments like that in uh, 11 years of, and then so far as the cramps, they continue, but all the rest of it is gone. And I have a healthy liver and I have a great life. And that's more than all I have. I mean, I'm so grateful for that. So who cares? Cramps are cramps. Yeah. What was your worst moment and all of it? The worst, the one moment that I literally gave up, I had to get, I had to get a biopsy for my liver and they wanted to get one of the tumors to buy it, to, to go into it. Mm-hmm. The problem was that it was, so my liver is like right here, the edge of it. And my main artery, whatever it's called is right here. And the tumor is like right on the side and they're going to go in with this thing. And they're concerned if they accidentally prick this, yeah. then I'll bleed out. There's nothing they can do. Right. I'll bleed out, but they can't do it with me unconscious. And they can't do it unless I'm in an exact position I need to be in. So I had to hold my breath at half breath, and then lay on my side and hold it while they did that. And oh my God, you could feel it go through the various layers of, pop, pop, pop of the oh. whatever that is. And I was laying there, I had my eyes closed, and I, was, I had this vision that I was like falling down this hole all the way to the bottom. And it was like tree trunks. I was holding on as the very last one. And I thought to myself, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. You know, it's been so many years. And I let go of it. And I said, I was like, I'm done. Just done, done. I'm going to die. And then I, the, I, didn't, I didn't go anywhere. And I sort of hang back onto it. And then the thing ended. And I sat up. But that was the most pain. But I'll tell you why. Those cramps like last night, they're on par with that. They're, they're, they're pretty down bad. Um, so, yeah, pain. Physical pain is, uh, has been a constant for me for years and, um, I'm kind of used to it. What about your best moment? Waking up and seeing my ankles. And explain to people who who don't understand HE, why were you able to see your ankles? Um, well, two things I could focus on my feet. 
And then the other one was, I didn't get serious buildup of fluids, but I did in my lower legs. And so my ankles were just, you couldn't see them. Really? It was just leg. Yeah. So was it, was it just, just, it was fluid? It was edema? It was, it was edema. Yes. And my feet were huge. Wow. And so that, that developed only towards the end. And, uh, but the ankles were there the whole time. The ankles almost happened immediately and I hated it. I didn't like not seeing my ankles like that. I'm looking at them now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when I woke up in that hospital bed, I looked down and I could see them. And I could see the little veins in my feet and the little bones. Wow. Oh, okay. I'll try to get through this one. <clears throat> After transplant, I had, you know, of course, I, I would show you, but you probably don't see, I get this huge scar. And so I had to, each night, I was living by myself, I had to change the bandages and everything each night. And uh, and when I took a shower, I couldn't get it wet. Yes. And so I had to have my back to the shower. And um, when I went back to Pittsburgh and they took out the uh, stitches, um, they said that I could I could turn around in the shower now. And I remember the first time I did, and I felt the water on my face. Oh. I started crying. It was crazy. That is so beautiful I, and something I think most people take for granted. Oh, my gosh. We take so much for granted. Yeah. What is one thing that you wish you had known at the beginning? And since you had this very circuitous journey, let's go back to the very beginning of um, the HE when you got that diagnosis. What's one thing you wish you had known then? Um, well, if we're talking strictly about AG, it would have been um, how I ended up changing my diet. But see, there was no, there's virtually nobody out there that knew anything about AG those, in those days. I would Google it. There would be nothing. Today, there's a lot about it. But I found this one doctor in Australia that had written a paper about it. And he suggested he had numbers for how much protein you could have each day, things like that. I could only have oh, 20, wow. 20 milligrams, 20 milligrams of, uh, or whatever it's grams of, of protein. Um, and it had to be, it couldn't come from, uh, animals. <laughs> it had to oh, be. Oh God, something. that makes it really difficult. Yeah. So, um, but when I did that, it, it definitely lessened the severity, uh, or length of time of some of the bad episodes and some of the bad episodes in the last days. Um, you know, I, I wake up. At the time I was married, I, we got divorced halfway through this. Um, at the, uh, there would be times when all of a sudden I, she'd shake me. I'd be standing in the backyard in the middle of the night. I was supposed to be in bed. Uh, there's nights, I'd, often it'd me just standing somewhere. I'd stand and just look at a tree. I had a, <laughs> I had a fig tree right next to my office. And of course I had to name it Newton. So, so Fig Newton and I, <laughs> so I would, I would sit at the basis of Fig Newton and, uh, and just go into these, I don't know what you'd even call it, but I'd sit there for hours and just stare at, I mean, the plants were talking. It was, in many ways, it was fun if you could remove the, I feel like my soul's being ripped out of my body part. And I don't have any strength at all. Um, the mind part was great. <laughs> right? You're into that. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was very similar to like a hallucinogen in some ways. It didn't have, yeah. you didn't see things that weren't there, stuff like that. But uh, it, 
chance. Like I remember one day that I was they, uh, my wife put popcorn in the microwave, and my daughter was over there, and it got done popping. I guess my wife thought that she had got it out. She asked, "Where's the popcorn?" And I knew it was in there. I could see it, and I pointed at. It. I said, "It's in the marshmallow." And then I corrected myself to, "It's in the um, mushroom." And you were trying to say microwave. Microwave. Yeah. Wow. Stuff like that would happen pretty often. I'd say the wrong word. It was close. I know you're in Mexico now, but you are an American. So if you could only do one thing to change healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I would do like the rest of the industrialized countries and make it available to everybody. And, uh, so I think that healthcare should not only be free, but it should provide everything that they need. I don't think there's a difference between healthcare and say eyes or teeth. You know, they're all part of the physical body and it needs to include a lot of things on, on things like hepatitis C, uh, people with PTSD, they need to, as far as the government goes, but it's one see the government run social, socialized medicine. That's what I have, you know, because the people pay for my, my healthcare that I have through the VA. So we already have a good social, so we have a model right there. Just expand that to the United States. Right. You know, um, and I know that's the thing that goes back and forth, but I think in healthcare, I think we need to really make it much more user-friendly, you know? Um, Are you ready to switch gears and do the Thriver rapid fire questions? uh, Rapid fire questions, go. Beach, desert, or mountains? Uh, Beach. I'm in Cozumel. <laughs> Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Rolling Stone. That does not surprise me. <laughs> that seems like a good <laughs> fit for you. <laughs> what is one well, word that best describes you? One word that best describes me? Unpredictable. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Ripple from the Grateful Dead. And the last meal you want to eat? popcorn oh my god i love popcorn too totally like i was thinking will i have popcorn for dinner tonight (laughs) maybe maybe i'll do that you said microwave i was like oh popcorn um (laughs) (laughs) i'm an enabler now (laughs) yes you are totally totally um how about the last person or people you want to see my brother troy oh you want to know why yes because he was just diagnosed with the exact same thing I had in 2011. And if I die of old age, that means he lives. Oh, I love that. What about the last words you will speak? Thank you. And aside from Cancer you, what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I also want you to tell people how they can get in touch with you. For cancer support, I would, I mean, I don't know enough about the ins and outs of, of, of things like that. I, I've gotten a lot of mileage in the last three years out of Facebook groups that deal with these specific problems. And yes, these are, but there are people that have it, that have experience with it. Would you mind sending links to those groups that your yeah. favorite groups? And we'll make sure we put that in the notes. Yeah, cause... I'll do that. I'm one, I'm in one for hepatic cephalopathy and also one for the neuropathy. Okay. And it's not like people are going in there and getting medical advice. And right. people say that commonly, but it's people that have experienced this. Yep. So you can ask questions of them that maybe, maybe a doctor doesn't have time for. 
you know, what else have you tried for these kinds of cramps or whatever? It's I've, I've got a lot of mileage out of that. Plus, I like going in there and speaking the way, you know, to encourage those that have it to, to not give up. You know, like I said, I don't buy this myth of death, your myth of death. And I never did. I never for a second, except for that one moment when I gave up, uh, thought that I wasn't going to make it through. And so, and I'm not saying, look at me. I'm just saying it can be done. And I'm evidence of that. So don't give up. You know, you don't have to listen to a word I say, but don't give up. And Steve, how can people get in touch with you? Because I know they're going to want to. Best way to get in touch with me is through my website, windandraven.com, windandraven.com. And there it's got, you know, links to the Amazon book and uh, uh, videos and other podcasts and, uh, and then the work that I do with, with people. Wow. Awesome. Okay. So we will put that in the show notes and workshop notes. Steve, it is just amazing. It's just not very often I get to speak with a liver cancer survivor and it's just so amazing. And I really appreciate you sharing your story. Well, I thank you for having me on. Like I said at the beginning, it's wonderful what you're doing. Um, these, these conditions are really, really difficult to get through and more awareness of people that don't have it so that they can, I think, change the way that we interact with those people so they don't give up. Yeah. You know, don't, and I'm not some I'm not a victim here saying that we're ostracized, but you know, when you're that kind of sick, you have, you have cirrhosis, people automatically maybe think, oh, alcohol, blah, 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 he deserves it. Well, who cares? Nobody, nobody deserves it. Help. Yeah, nobody, nobody deserves yeah, it, right? Nobody. And so, yeah, doesn't matter how you got it, you got it. Yeah. And so that's all we need to know. So I think awareness like you're doing is the best thing right now. Oh, I would say that. Have your show on the American Medical Association's website. <laughs> 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 question about how to change medicine. <laughs> I'll reach out to them and see what they yeah, say. You can <laughs> well, thank you again. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.